We have uh, already learned this morning that God is holy. We've learned that God is beautiful and His way is beautiful. All of His ways are beautiful and they are right. We find that also because God has given us life, He has sovereign authority over us to instruct us as to how to live our lives. And He has clearly done so in the ancient words of the Bible. They may be ancient, but they're true. And they're still the inspired Word of God. He has told us to repent of our sin and surrender our lives to Jesus Christ in faith. He calls upon believers to live Christ-like lives. He calls upon us to confess our sin and forsake it when we do rebel against the Lord. He expects us to serve Him, not ourselves. He commands us to love other people and to act accordingly. And no matter how hard obedience to God may seem, disobedience always results in going the wrong way, on the wrong direction. And going the wrong way always results in painful consequences eventually. Not always right away, but eventually. Going the wrong way leads to painful consequences. One of the most graphic examples of this fact is seen in a man named Jonah. In the last pages of your Old Testament, you'll find a group of books, 12 books, referred to generally as the Minor Prophets. They are not minor prophets because they're less important than the four major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. They are simply shorter among the minor prophets, probably the best known is Jonah. And probably the best thing known about Jonah is Jonah and the great fish. Uh, Jonah is kind of unique from the other minor prophets because his book doesn't deal so much with the content of his message, but more of the emphasis is on Jonah, Jonah the man, Jonah the prophet, and uh, Jonah and the things that, that came into his life. Jonah shows us that prophets were not programmable uh, robots or machines, but rather the prophets were fallible men of flesh through whom God chose to work. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be studying the book of Jonah. Uh, the man Jonah, most importantly, the God of Jonah as he deals with a wrong-way prophet, a spiritually deserting prophet. As you study the book of Jonah, it's not primarily about the fish. The fish is mentioned four times. The uh, city of Nineveh is mentioned nine times. It's not even primarily about Jonah. Jonah is mentioned 18 times. But the book of Jonah primarily focuses on God. God's referred to in the four short chapters of this book eight, 38 times. So the focus is on God as he deals with Jonah. Uh, just give me an overview of the book. Chapter 1 talks to us about the protesting prophet. He didn't protest so much in what he did, as, or what he said as what he did. He went the wrong direction. In chapter 2, we see him as the praying prophet in the most unusual prayer meeting, uh, most unusual prayer meeting for a, uh, most unusual place for a prayer meeting 
that uh, has ever, ever been in existence. In chapter 3, we finally see him as the preaching prophet uh, used by God to spark a great revival in Nineveh. And then surprisingly enough, in chapter 4, we see after this tremendous positive response to his messages, we find him pouting. He's upset about what took place. So that's what we'll be looking at as we look through the book of Jonah. And today as we get into chapter 1, uh, the, the chapter divides up kind of nicely. And there are three realities that are, that are very clearly seen. They stand out in this chapter of Scripture. The commissioning of the prophet as God tells him what he wants him to do. The contrariness of the prophet as he refuses to do what God wanted him to do. And then finally in chapter 1, the chastening that came to the prophet from the Lord. Uh, first of all, we see the commissioning. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, and we read in the first couple of verses, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. First of all, we see here the giver of the commission, the man commissioned, and the content as far as what God wanted him to do. We think about the giver of the commission. It's the Lord. It's the word of the Lord that comes to Jonah. And the Lord there is spelled capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And we've emphasized a number of times that that really stands for the proper name of God. And if you look at the Hebrew letters there, it would be the Y-A-H-W-E-H, Yahweh. Uh, we see that back in, Genesis, in Exodus 3, where God identifies himself to Moses as I am. And that, that term Yahweh comes from the verb that means to be, to exist. And, of course, God is the God who is, the God who always existed, the God who always will exist, the God who is, is the great I am, who is what we, what we need him to be. Uh, he's the I am. He's the uh, true and living God of the Bible. And he's also the God who made a covenant with Abraham and to establish the nation of Israel. And when he established the nation of Israel, it wasn't because he liked Abraham and liked all the Jewish people so much more than he liked everybody else, but rather his plan was, and the commission he had, the purpose he had for Israel was that they would be a blessing to the other nations. It wasn't that God loved Israel and hated everybody else, but Israel was to be an example nation and they were to be a blessing to the other nations. In fact, the, one of the interesting things about Jonah is that Jonah is a prophet to the Gentiles. He's not sent to Jerusalem. He's not sent to Bethlehem. He's not sent to Nazareth. He's from Israel. But here we find God calling him and telling him to go to Nineveh, which is the capital of the nation of Assyria in that day. Uh, we see the man that's commissioned. He is a real man, not a myth not a legend. The text identifies him very clearly here as a real man. Uh, sometimes even in churches today, they, they try to say the book of Jonah is a, it's a myth, it's a legend, it's an allegory, that, that it's not reality, it's not historical. You know, we, we don't have to go that way, folks. Uh, is our God capable of enabling a man to be swallowed by a fish and live for three days? Sure he is. If he can make us, he can do that. We don't have to get rid of Jonah or, or try to, to dumb it down or play it down because we have trouble with miracles, because we don't have trouble with miracles. 
Jonah is a real man, very clearly identified in the text as so. Well, we're even told who his father is. His father is a man by the name of Amittai. He is mentioned as a prophet back in, in, first, in 2 Kings chapter 14. He was a contemporary of Hosea and Amos and came just after Elisha. In 2 Kings, we read in chapter 14 that he lived during the time of Jeroboam II. And uh, we find that it tells us in, in verse 25 of 2 Kings 14 that Jeroboam II restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the, the Sea of Arabah. He, he pushed north. He expanded the territory of Israel to the north. And he said he did this, and here's an important thing for us. He did it according to the word of the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gethephar, which is about four miles north of Nazareth in Galilee. That's where Jonah was from. He's from Galilee, north of Nazareth, prophesied during the time of Jeroboam II. And uh, he had prophesied that the borders of Israel would be expanded. And I'm sure that was a very popular message that day. He would have been considered a very patriotic uh, prophet in what he had to declare. Now, when we think about Jeroboam II, we find that during his time, it was a time of great material and military prosperity for Israel and for the southern nation of Judah. And, but unfortunately, it was also a time of great wickedness spiritually. In fact, in verse 24 of 2 Kings 14, it tells us how wicked a man Jeroboam II was as well. So things were going well economically and militarily and, and prospering in that fashion, but it was a time of of wickedness to which God called Jonah to be uh, his prophet. And once again, he's a real man, not a myth. He prophesied, we're even given the time that he prophesied, the king that he prophesied to. And uh, if that isn't enough, you go over to the New Testament, and we find over there that the Lord Jesus has some things to say about Jonah. You read in Jonah chapter, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus answered people that were looking for a sign. He said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but no sign is going to be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, prophesying his resurrection, his death and then his resurrection. And then he goes on, and Christ also sanctions the, the fact that Jonah had preached in Nineveh. He says that the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Who's Jesus talking about there? He's talking about himself. They, re they rejected him. The people of Nineveh respond to the preaching of Jonah. They rejected the preaching of the Son of God himself. But the thing for us to notice here, particularly this morning, is did Jesus believe Jonah was a real man? Sure he did. Uh, did he believe he was really swallowed by a fish and then spit out again? Did he believe he preached to the Ninevites and led a great revival? Sure. So if you're going to get rid of the book of Jonah, if you're going to try to play it down and, and say that it's less than historical reality, you're also casting some pretty serious aspersions on our Savior because he believed everything that the book of Jonah said about what happened to Jonah and, and what Jonah did and what God did through Jonah. So Jonah was a 
a real man. As far as the commission that he gets, God very plainly tells him, go to Nineveh. I want you to go to Nineveh. There wasn't any interpretation called for here. There, there wasn't any work that Jonah had to do. God laid it out for him. Jonah knew where Nineveh was. Jonah knew what the word go meant. And so God lays it out very clearly for him, speaks to him through in a very clear fashion, go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was one of the largest cities of the world, maybe the largest city of the world at that time, uh, populated by 600,000 people. And it was the capital of the nation of Assyria. Uh, Nineveh was located right around where the, the modern city of Tehran in, in Iran is located. Uh, the Assyria was a, an ancient superpower, and they were an enemy of Israel, an enemy of Judah. They had attacked Israel, won victories. In fact, Israel had to pay them tribute money just for the privilege of being allowed to continue to exist. So the people in Israel didn't have any love for the Assyrians. On top of that, the Assyrians were a very cruel people. Uh, well, when they conquered people, they did things like beheading them. They did things like impaling them on posts and leaving them outside the city for days at an end. They, they, were, they were noted throughout the ancient Mideastern world for their, their terrible cruelty. So they were, they were feared, they were despised, they were hated by Israel. And God tells Jonah, I want you to go to, to Nineveh, and I want you to cry out against that city. Warn that city of judgment. That's what it meant to cry out against it. Because their wickedness has come up to me. Now, God knows about all wickedness. But he says that he, God took special note of the wickedness of Nineveh at this time, and he's going to do something about it. He's going to, first of all, he's going to send Jonah there as his prophet to prophesy and cry out against that city. So, so there we have the, the commissioning of the prophet. comes from God, God himself. It comes to a real man named Jonah, and it's very clear what he expected him to do. Where was Jonah supposed to go? Nineveh. So there wasn't any lack of clarity there, no confusion, no interpretation needed. But we find that Jonah was contrary. He knew what God wanted him to do. Read his reaction in verse 3. But, that's a dangerous word. You know, when it says God wants you to do something and then, but, that's not a good sign. Not a good sign. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, down into the ship, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, First of all, we note the direction of his flight. You know, when God tells us to do something, that should be followed by an and. And he did it. And when but comes in there, it's always a bad sign, whether it's in Jonah's life, whether it's in our lives. And But Jonah doesn't do what God wants him to do. He knows exactly what God wants him to do, but he goes the exact opposite direction. Nineveh was about... 500 miles to the northeast of where he was there in Galilee. And this city of Tarsus that's mentioned was over on the Atlantic coast of Spain. 
which is miles and miles and miles northwest. Now, do you realize that northwest and northeast are total opposites? He's supposed to go northeast, and instead, he starts making the effort to go northwest. So he goes down to, to Joppa, that's west, down to the seacoast, about 40 miles away from where he's at, and gets down there to find a ship. So he wants to go the, exactly the opposite direction from what God wants him to go. Do we ever do that? We know God wants us to do something. We know it from his word that we're supposed to do it. We do exactly the opposite. We know that God doesn't want us to say something. We say it anyway. We know God does want us to say something. We don't say it. Sometimes we can do the same thing as Jonah. We need to learn from what happened in Jonah's life. Now, his intention was to flee from the Lord. You know how foolish that was? Foolish for two things, uh, for two reasons. Number one, you can't do it. You can't do it. And Jonah probably knew that in his mind, yet he wants to get away as far away from God, as far away from Israel, as far away from the temple, as far away from the things of God as he can. So he's going off to a, a Gentile city at the end of the earth, the opposite end of the earth that day. He's trying to get away from God and the things of God. You, you, you just can't do that. But you know, people still do the same thing. Sometimes people get out of fellowship with God. And, you know, the last place they want to be is in church. Last thing they want to do is read the Bible. Last person they want to see is the preacher. You know, so I try not to take that personal. When people are messed up with the Lord. In fact, they're messed up with me. That's a small thing. The big thing is they're, they're, they're messed up with God. I figure anybody that's right with God, they're going to love me, right? And they're going to love seeing me come around. But if they're messed up with God, they want to get away from the things of God. But you can't get away from God. You can get away from me. You can stay away from church. You can leave the Bible on the shelf. But you can't get away from the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. And you can't get away from Him. Wherever you go, you take Him with you. And Jonah knew that in one sense, but that didn't keep him from trying. You know, sin is illogical. Sometimes we try to get away from God, and we can't do it. It's, it's illogical. But we try to do things that are logical. Sin makes people crazy. I also heard somebody say sin makes people stupid. And, and it does. Jonah's stupid, trying to get away from God. Also, when you recognize it, you know what one of the greatest blessings in life is? The presence of God in your life. Man's created to have fellowship with God. Now that, that's why God made us. And in order to enjoy life and experience life the way God wants us to, we need to be walking in close fellowship with him. And it's a blessing. A fellow by the name of Asaph wrote Psalm 73 under the direction of the Spirit of God. And he was troubled in that psalm because the righteous seemed to be having things go hard in their life and the wicked seemed to be prospering. And he gets down towards the end of the psalm, and he, he said he finally came to the realization that for him, the greatest good in life was the nearness of God. Have a relationship with God. Be able to walk with our Creator and talk with our Creator and have Jesus, and who's promised he'll never leave us or forsake us. And here, 
Jonah wants to get away from everything that is best in life and get away from God. And so he tries to go the exact opposite direction, trying to get away from him. By the way, do you know why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? Some might say, well, he was afraid. Not his credit. He wasn't afraid. It wasn't fear of the Ninevites that kept him from going. Some people might, well, he's lazy. And he doesn't want to go 500 miles walking or riding a camel to go over to Nineveh. He must have been lazy. No, that wasn't it. Turn over to chapter 4. We'll give you a little preview. Chapter 4. We'll deal with it in more detail in a few weeks. But after the, uh, after the great revival takes place, in, in verse 1, starts out and says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry, angry with God. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarsus. This is why I ran away. For I know that you are gracious and merciful, a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. You know why he didn't want to go to Nineveh? Because he wanted God to destroy them. He didn't want them to repent. He said, I knew God, you were, you were a merciful God. You're a God of grace. And I was just afraid that if I went there and I preached the, 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 your truth to those people, they would repent and you would spare them. And then now, it's just like it's, that happened. That's exactly what happened. I knew it was going to happen that way. And he's mad about it. That's why he didn't go. You've got to wait a few weeks. We'll see how God answers Jonah and deals with him in a situation like that. But can you imagine and, and wanting those people to die and go to hell because he hated them? Yeah, we've got to be careful. But we can develop an attitude like that towards a certain person, towards other people that may have done something to us or may threaten us. We've got to be careful about that. That's why Jonah fled. Now, we see that he can't get away from God. In fact, pick it up in, in, in verse 3. We see he goes down to Tarsus, and he, uh, he might have done some, done some reasoning like this. Well, Lord, if you really don't want me to go to Tarsus, then don't let there be a ship there that's going to go to Tarsus. So he, he got down there to Joppa, and guess what? There was a ship. It was headed for Tarshish. So maybe it was God's will. Maybe God's blessing him and what he's going to do. And, and lo and behold, he had the fare. He had the passage. He could pay to go to Tarsus. He had all that stuff going for him. But you know what? None of that indicated the blessing of God on what he was doing. What did God want him to do? What did God made abundantly clear? Go to Nineveh. Once again, sin causes us to rationalize and justify in, in very foolish fashion sometimes. Anyhow, he ends up, he gets on the boat, he gets down in the boat, and he, he goes to sleep. But then God still in the picture. Look at, listen to verse 4. Let's pick it up there. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. 
But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. Fast asleep. First thing we find, God sent a mighty wind. By the way, the fact that Jonah was fast asleep didn't indicate that everything was right with God either. Sometimes people, well, boy, if I'm, if I'm not right with God, I can't sleep. It bothers me. You know, there's other people that aren't right with God. They can sleep, and they try to sleep and almost render themselves unconscious so that they don't have to deal with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Jonah gets down, gets in the boat, goes to sleep, down to sleep. And we find that as this storm comes up, it puts the ship in danger. It's ready to break up. And the, the sailors, the seasoned sailors, are terrified. And, you know, one thing we see here we got to get a reminder of, nobody sins to themselves. When you sin, it affects other people. Sometimes people it's, will say when they're in rebellion against God, well, it's my life. What do you care if I go this direction in my life, which is clearly against God's teaching? It affects people. Parents, does it, does it affect you and your kids' sin? Wives, does it, does it affect you and your husband's sin? Husbands, does it affect you and your wife's sin? Sure it does. When you've got a Christian friend that you love and you see them rebel against God, does that affect you? Sure it does. Jonah's sin affects these people. Achan's sin certainly affected the people of Israel. Nobody sins to themselves. We're not islands that just affect ourselves and our sin. Jonah sleeps, probably exhausted because he made that 40-mile trip down to Joppa, but he ends up and he gets humiliated by the pagan ship captain. Everybody's afraid. Don't, Jonah's sleeping. Verse 6 says, So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. You know, it's pretty bad when a pagan's got to tell a prophet to get up and pray. Pretty bad when pagan people have to remain you, remind you and me to pray. And to call on our God, wake up and pray. But sometimes that happens in our lives. Sometimes we're not praying like we should. We, we'd rather sleep. We'd rather try to get away from God. We may need somebody to remind us to pray. Well, Jonah did. And, and it gets worse. It says, and they, they, they cast lots. They said to one another, let's come, let's cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. And I don't recommend casting lots all the time to figure out God's will. But in this case, it worked. And, I, and Jonah's identified as the, as the problem here for, for which the, uh, the storm had come, upon, had come upon the ship. And so the sailors see this, and then they start peppering him with questions. They said to him, please tell us, for whose cause this troubles upon us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? And you get the picture here. One question after another, not even giving them a, a time to answer. And finally, in verse 9, he does answer. Now, this is one of the most ridiculous verses in the Bible. One of the most ridiculous-sounding verses in the Bible. As Jonah speaks up, remember this prophet who's been told, go to Nineveh. He's going the opposite direction. So he said to him, I'm a Hebrew. That's pretty good. You know, nothing wrong with, with saying that for him. He was. Then here's where it starts to get ridiculous. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. 
Well, if he really did fear the Lord God of heaven and serve him, where would he be going? He wouldn't be on that ship. He'd be headed for Nineveh. It's kind of like the, the disciples who later on are with the Lord Jesus. And the Lord says, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? You got anybody here like that? Ever done that? You call Jesus Lord, but you don't obey what he tells you to do in Scripture? Sometimes we do that, and we need chastening like Jonah got chastened. Hopefully we, we get wakened up by the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and get it taken care of then and confess our sin and turn from it. And sometimes we must look ridiculous to people. We fear God. We serve Jesus Christ. We're Christians. But sometimes we don't act like it. Jonah suffers the reproach of these sailors. And then they said the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, Why have you done this? Uh, for, the, for the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He had told them as not only that I, I fear the Lord God, I'm a prophet of God, and he wanted me to go to Nineveh, but I'm going the other way. Why would you do that? These pagans are asking the prophet that. Why would you do that? How shame. How disgraced Jonah must have felt at that moment as he's caught in his sin. Then they asked, what should we do? What should you do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. To their credit, they didn't want to throw Jonah over. They didn't want to be responsible for his death. So they, well, we'll work a little harder. But you know what? When you're rowing against God, you can't win. If you're trying to go, if you're trying to row against the Lord and, and, and go against his, his purposes, you can't win. And so they end up, they throw Jonah into the sea. Verse 14, therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for, for you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And lo and behold, the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Jonah's life becomes hopeless and worthless to him. You know, when you're in rebellion against God, that, that can happen. It didn't matter whether he lived or died anymore. He might as well kill me, throw me over. My, my life's hopeless. It doesn't count for anything. And they did. And as he's thrown into the sea, God calms the sea. Can you think of any other time when somebody calmed the sea? Think of the Lord Jesus over in the fishing boat. All he has to do is speak, and the winds and the sea obey his voice. The winds and the sea obeyed his voice in the Old Testament as well. The sailors are feared God. They offered sacrifices. They made vows. We don't know if they... they truly believed we'll see some these sailors in heaven when we get there hard to tell 
but they, they certainly indicate do some things in a very positive direction here. And the, the bottom line is God was glorified. You know, God will be glorified in all things. He, he, he can be glorified through us when we cooperate with him. Sometimes God is glorified in spite of us. A whole lot better when he's glorified through us. We cooperate with God and we serve him. God will accomplish his purposes. As we look at this, we find as we get to this point, Jonah's sinking or treading water or flopping around. And we're going to leave him there for this, doing good. Let him stew for a while in the, in the Mediterranean Sea and let God work on him a little bit. We'll come back next week and see what happens to him at that point. But we find him in, in, in a miserable, miserable situation here. Well, let's leave Jonah for a minute. What about you? What about me? Is there something you know God wants you to do? If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I can tell you flat out, God wants you to repent of your sin and surrender your life to Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that, today would be a great day to take care of that. Maybe you're a Christian, but you've never been willing to publicly take that step of baptism, believer's baptism. You need to take that step of obedience to the Lord. Maybe you need to get involved in, in a ministry someplace. You're just kind of a, a pew warmer, but you're not really involved. You're not really serving the Lord. Maybe there's somebody that God brings to your mind you need to apologize to. And you've been resisting that. You've been fighting against that. You're going against God. If God tells you in the Word He wants you to do it, then we need to do it. In fact, somebody else has heard us, doesn't Give us an excuse for the fact that hurt we brought upon them. Maybe God brings to mind something you stole from somebody a while back. You need to give it back to them. Maybe there's sin in your life that you need to confess and forsake. Today's the day to do it. You know, Jonah made a decision here. Unfortunately, he made the wrong decision, went the wrong direction, and here he's tasting of the consequences of it. He needed too bad you didn't make the right decision. Too bad you can't skip the, 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 a good share of chapter 1 and, and chapter 2 and just get right over to chapter 3 with Jonah preaching in Nineveh. I don't know about you, but there's some episodes in my life I'd like to skip over. Some chapters I wish I'd, I, I could just not have had those. I wish I had just obeyed God and not gone through some of the things I've had to go through when I've walked in disobedience to God gone the wrong way. Maybe there's somebody here this morning. You know you've gone the wrong way. You've got sin in your life. You need to confess that you're affecting other people around you with your sin. You may be even affecting the whole local church family with the sin in your life. You need to confess it. Forsake it. Get right with God. Heavenly Father, help us to choose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ today. And then, Lord, as we have the opportunities to begin to take those steps of following. Father, we, even if we are walking and following Christ today, we know that we are going to be tempted to turn from the right path and go the wrong direction. This week, maybe today, Father, help us to surrender to your authority and to live our lives the way that you want us to, not to desert, not to disobey, not to go the wrong way. 
but to go the right way. Father, help us to make the decisions we need to make today and to follow through on them in the days to come. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn in your hymnals?